are going to open up God's Word today, and we are going to see, to me, very something very encouraging, even as we talk about our nation and what's going on in our nation. In Acts chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul, who we started last week, is now on his third missionary journey. And of course, we read about the first and the second missionary journey, and we've been studying that. And all of them, the Apostle Paul, is sent out of the church of Antioch, just one of the most prominent, important churches in the history of Christianity, because that's where missions basically started, because they heard the Holy Spirit of God, and they just simply did what the Holy Spirit of God did, and they sent people out with the gospel, and the gospel went forth, and the gospel changed literally the world. And so every time Paul would go on a missionary journey, he would go back to the church of Antioch and he would go there almost like a furlough or to get revived or to get just rest. And then they would send him back out with the gospel. So this is the third time now that the apostle Paul is going out with the gospel. And now he is going to a place in basically it would be modern day Turkey for us, but it's Asia Minor during the time. So he's going to Asia, Asia Minor. And he goes to a city named Ephesus. Now, Ephesus in the Roman Greek world was a very, very important city, very large city. One of the seven wonders of the world was in this city. It was the temple of Diana or Artemis. And it was the largest physical structure in the world at the time. Now, think about that. That's a big building. So the largest building in the world was this temple and it was a temple of worship to this goddess, Artemis, who was basically the moon goddess. She was a goddess of fertility, and she was a goddess of virginity. And so you can go look at statues online if you want to of what they would worship and the idols they would make. And next week, we're going to study about idols and how important idols were to the city of Ephesus because a riot starts out of what we're going to talk about today. But basically, Artemis, any statue they would make, it would look really weird because she would have 20-something breasts, basically. And it was because she was the fertility goddess. And that's how they worshipped her as the goddess of the moon or fertility. And so it was a very sexually immoral city. There was a lot of prostitution worship in this, very similar to what we read about earlier in other cities in the Greek world. And so... It was just a wicked city. It was a city filled with witchcraft, and we're going to see that in a minute. It was a city filled with demons, and we'll read about that in a minute. But think about the book in the Bible that comes from this city. Paul writes back to the church of Ephesus, and one of the things he writes about is Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, so this was a wicked, 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 wicked place, not unlike some of our cities today in the United States of America. Very similar things happened there that were happening in the city of Ephesus, very similar. And so just like we were a very immoral and are an immoral place, Ephesus was the same. But God was at work in Ephesus. How do I know? Well, he sent the apostle Paul there. And he sent Paul there for a specific reason. And so let's just read about it because... I just love what we're going to talk about today. So we'll start reading and just kind of go through it in Acts 19, verse 8. So look at verse 8, because when Paul gets to the city, this is one of the things he does. He always does this. 
Then Paul went to the synagogue and he preached how? Boldly. He preached boldly for the next three months. And he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. Okay, now don't throw away this line. Because basically the book of Acts is about the kingdom of God. Now think about how the book of Acts started. The book of Acts really is just a continuation of the book of Luke. Luke writes both of them, and so it's just a continuation of the story. So at the end of the book of Luke, we basically have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so then we go right into the book of Acts, and Jesus Christ is resurrected, and He is still on this earth. And how long is He on this earth? Forty days and forty nights. Okay, and the Bible says something in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus does in those 40 days. Do you know what he does for 40 days and 40 nights? What does he do? He teaches them about the kingdom of God. Acts 1 says that specifically. So Jesus' entire purpose for 40 days and 40 nights after the resurrection was to teach about the kingdom of God. Okay, if you go read the very end of the book of Acts, the way the book of Acts ends, Paul is in prison and Paul is doing something. Anyone who will listen to him, do you know what he's doing? He's preaching about the kingdom of God. Okay, do you know Jesus' very first words, his very first sermon, do you know what they were? Repent. Why? The kingdom of God is near or at hand. He's talking about himself. The kingdom of God is here. Okay, in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to seek something. Seek ye first what? Okay, seek ye first. So the very first thing you do, the very first thing is what? Seek the kingdom of God. So in Jesus' mind, in Jesus' ministry, is the kingdom of God important? Okay, and the Apostle Paul's ministry is the kingdom of God important? Okay, do we ever talk about the kingdom of God? I mean, let's think about this. How often do we talk about the kingdom of God? How many discussions this week have you had about the kingdom of God? Now, Jesus said, seek first what? The kingdom of God. Paul is in a city for three stinking months, going to the synagogue every day, and what is he doing? Kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. We don't even talk about the kingdom of God. So here's a better question. Do you even know what the kingdom of God is? I hope you do. If not, you might want to figure it out because it's pretty important in the Bible. So we're not talking about that today, but okay. That was a rabbit I chased. Look at, keep reading. Verse 9, look at what happens. But some became stubborn rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. Now, of course, the way is what the book of Acts says over and over again. It's Christianity, what we would say about Christianity. They didn't call it Christianity then. They didn't call it the church then. They called it the way. Why? Because Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth of life. So they followed the way. They followed Jesus. So they were speaking out publicly against the way, but why were they speaking out publicly against it? Because they became stubborn. Okay, it's interesting here. The Greek word here for this, stubborn, is sclerosis. 
Now, what do you think you get if you get hardening of the arteries? Do you know what we call it? Okay. So what is this talking about? This is talking about the hardening of the heart. Okay, so literally, to me, the way it should read, rather than stubborn or whatever your translation says, it should say, but some of their hearts became hard. Because that's what happens. Their hearts became hard. Okay. Because they rejected his message. Now, do we have hard hearts today in our society, in our families, in our community? Oh, heck yeah, we do. Hearts are hard all over the place. Their heart is stone. Okay, so question, what makes your heart hard? It's rejection. And do you know what literally rejection is? It's just saying no. Okay, what is the work of the Holy Spirit of God? His work, according to Jesus in the book of John, is to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his work. Okay, so when the Apostle Paul is in the synagogue preaching about the kingdom of God for three months, do you think the Holy Spirit of God was at work? We know he's at work because we're about to read he has some believers there. So is God saving people in the synagogue? Yeah. But does he save everyone in the synagogue? No. Why? Because their hearts became hard. Why did their hearts become hard? Because they said no to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God convicted them of their sin. He convicted them of their sin and righteousness. Told them how they could become right with God. Paul's preaching about it over and over and over again. And then what happens if you don't become right with God? Judgment. The Holy Spirit of God was at work, but they rejected it. They said no to it. Oh, that's garbage. So what happens when you say no over and over and over to the Holy Spirit. You're hardened. It's the same thing like we talk about people having a calloused heart. I have calluses all over my hands. Do you know I have calluses on my hands? It's because I work out all the time and I lift weights and I do pull-ups. I do things like that and I develop calluses. But they don't just happen the first time I work out, right? No, it takes years to do that. And they're hard as a rock. Okay, the same thing is true with your heart. When you say no enough to God and the holy work of the Holy Spirit, do you have calluses and does your heart become hard? Yo, you better believe it does. I say this all the time in our society. Do you know the vast majority of Christians when they get saved is before the age of 18? Over 80% of Christians in America who are saved are saved before the age of 18. And if you make it to the age of 30 without receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, do you know what your chances or odds are statistically of coming to Christ? They are almost zero. It is very rare for someone over the age of 30 to come to Christ. It is rare, statistically. Okay, why is that? Because how many times do you say no to the work of the Holy Spirit? As a child, has your heart built up calluses yet? Now you have said no to God as a child. You've sinned as a child. But has your heart developed calluses and stone and hardness yet? But over time, the older and older you get, what happens? More times you say no, a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And your heart becomes like a rock. 
It's what happens. And then what happens when that happens? Well, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. What is the unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about? What does it literally mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I think when we think about that word blaspheme, that's the King James word, but we think it's basically cursing God or cursing the Holy Spirit. That's not what it is. It's just sheer rejection. It's just saying no to the work of God. And can you be saved if you say no to the work of God in your life? No, because you're never going to come to Christ Jesus. And that's why it's the unpardonable sin. Because you reject Christ Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. You reject Him. And that's what the people in Ephesus did. Their hearts became stubborn because they reject the message publicly, speaking against the way. So this is what Paul does. It goes on to say there. It says, so Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. So there were believers who were saved and who received the Holy, or Jesus through the whole work of the Holy Spirit. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. Now, his last name's not Rex, okay? So some of you won't get that. But this is just a lecture hall. This is just a community center, basically, in Ephesus. And you know about Greek oratory. You know how they would go and they would have all kinds of things where they would talk philosophy and they would discuss politics and all this type of stuff. That's what it is. It was just a place for people to meet and to talk. And orators would get up and they would give lectures and they would give speeches so Paul went there and he did that every day. And what did he give speeches and what did he talk about? The Word of God and Jesus and the way and the resurrection and the cross. He just did what I do every Sunday. He just shared the message of God. That's all he did. And he did it in a public place with the believers that were saved in the synagogue. Look at what it says next in verse 10. This went on for the next two years. So that people throughout the province of Asia, now this is Asia Minor, basically Turkey, so that people from the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so people from all over the area. So it would be like me standing up and preaching and people coming from all over the United States of America to hear me because they've heard about this preaching they want to hear more and more. That's what was happening to Paul. People from all over are traveling in to hear the message of God. Okay, for two years. Now, did Paul stay anywhere for two years? No, he never stayed. He usually came and he went. He would share the gospel. He would start a church and then he would go. That was what he would do on his missionary journeys. Two years is a long time. But why were people coming from all over the world? Why? Well, keep reading. Look at verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Okay, so not only was the Apostle Paul preaching the Word of God in boldness, he was also performing miracles. Now, what type of miracles? Unusual ones. Okay, we've seen miracles throughout the book of Acts, right? We've seen miracles, a lot of them. But how many are described as unusual? I don't know anywhere in Acts where it describes it that way. But these were unusual miracles. Now, wouldn't you like to know what the miracles were? Because is that word plural there? It's more than one, okay? So Paul was doing miracles, not a miracle. 
Okay, wouldn't you like to know what some of these unusual miracles were? We only know one. Keep reading, verse 12. When handkerchiefs or aprons... Now, the word here for apron is probably not what you're thinking about, like working in a kitchen. This would be kind of what Paul would wear when he's making tents, like a leather apron to protect himself, like when he's working. That's what it would be. So when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. So that is one example of the unusual miracles that Paul was able to perform in this city. Okay, so question. Why did God do this in the city of Ephesus and not in the city of Athens or the city of Corinth? Why in Ephesus? You can answer there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, I don't... I can't... It was very demonic. And it was a city filled with all kinds of supernatural things, from witchcraft to all kinds of garbage. And we're going to see that in just a second. It was, but it was different from a demonic perspective. And I'm going to show you in just a second how I know. Because you're going to see what happens in the city of Ephesus in just a second. And and again, I don't know why this is, but why do we have miracles in the first place? It's the power of God for what specific reason? So the Word of God, the message of God, the message of Christ can spread. So if I could lay my hands on you and heal you, Is the miracle for you? Well, yes and no. Do you receive a blessing from the miracle? Well, of course you do. If you're healed of whatever it is you're healed of. But is that the purpose of the miracle? No, that's not the purpose of the miracle. The purpose of the miracle is so people can see the power of God at work so people come to Christ Jesus. That's the purpose of the miracle. Right? Yes, it's not for me to make money. So, okay... Uh, if you give me a seed offering, I'll give you a handkerchief and you can be healed. I mean, that's what we've turned this garbage into, right? I mean, the prosperity gospel. I mean, it's garbage. It ain't so I can get rich and buy three planes like Jesse DePlantis or those idiots, okay? It's so the message of Jesus can go forth and people can be saved. Now, as Baptists and conservative evangelicals, what have we done to separate ourselves from the morons that are saying, if you give me so much money, I'll send you a handkerchief. We've went the opposite direction and say, we don't want any part of that. And basically, we've come up with a philosophy to say, well, miracles have ceased, and they don't happen anymore because we have the Bible and we don't need miracles. Well, what was Paul doing in Ephesus? He was preaching what? The Word of God. That's what he was doing. Okay? So if God did it then... Can he still do it now? Does he still do it now? Yes, he does. God doesn't change. We change and we come up with stupid ideas about the Bible. God doesn't change. And so there are still miracles happening all over the world right now. Whether you believe it or not, miracles happen. And the purpose of the miracle is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul was performing unusual miracles 
so the message of God and the power of God and the name of Jesus can go forth. Amen? That's why he does it. And I'm telling you, he still does it today. Whether people believe it or not, he still does it today. But again, let's think about this. Why did God do it there and not other places? Okay, I just want you to think about Paul's perspective for just a moment. Because Paul stayed in this city for two years. And the reason he stayed in the city for two years is because God kept him in the city for two years. I think this was a very, very difficult time for Paul, being in the city of Ephesus for two years. Because I think while he was there, from a spiritual perspective, he was at war. And I don't know how to say this, I mean, but from a pastoral perspective, you get worn out spiritually real quick when you're at war. A whole lot more so than you do physically. And so I think this was a very difficult time for Paul. And so that's why I think he wrote words like this. So just listen to what he writes back to Ephesus later. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, And a final word, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Did Paul think he had power? No. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So for two years, what did the Apostle Paul do? He fought. He was at war spiritually with the unseen world, with rulers and authorities who have what type of power? Mighty power. That's what he says. He says, that's why you got to stand firm in God's mighty power because they got power too. And if you try to do it on your own, what's going to happen? Your clock's going to get cleaned. And then he goes on to talk about the armor of God. And why you put on specific types of armor. Why you have the helmet of salvation. Why you have the sword of the Spirit. The shoes of peace. He talks about all that in Ephesians 6. Why? Because he had to have it when he was in Ephesus. For two years, remember this. Two years he was at war. And so let's see who he's with war with. Okay? Look back at Acts chapter 19. Because he's at war. Acts 19, look at verse 13. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. Okay, now you can go read extra biblical evidence of this just from history of the time period. And there were people who would go around casting out demons, and they would make money going around casting out demons. And 
I guess it would kind of be like our modern day psychics or modern day, we even have a TV show now that where this chick talks to the dead or whatever and she makes a TV show about it, okay? They're basically charlatans, but they're led by demons and controlled by demons. That's how they do all this stuff. So are they really doing it? Is she really talking to the dead? Probably. It's demonic, okay? It's demonic. And so in the city of Ephesus, they had people that did this and performed exorcisms all the time. Why? Because it was a demonic-filled city and were people controlled by demons. You better believe they were. And so there was a group of guys, seven of them, who came to town to do just this. And this is what they tried to do. They tried to use of the Lord Jesus, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Okay, now why would they do this? Why would they use the name of Jesus? Do you think they've heard of the Apostle Paul? And the unusual miracles that he's doing in the city of Ephesus? Do you think words spread about that? Do you think that's why people maybe are coming from all over Asia Minor to hear his word and the word he's preaching? I mean, heck yeah. I mean, I want to see somebody be healed just an handkerchief touching them. I mean, that's miraculous. I mean, do you think it caused a stir when Jesus was walking down the street and the crowd was surrounding him and the woman who had been bleeding for years and years and years touched the hem of his garment? Do you think that caused a stir? Of course it did. Okay, so people wanted to come see the miracles. And these seven dudes, the seven sons of Sceva, had heard about Paul and he preached the name of Jesus. So guess what they were going to do? They were going to use that name. Why were they doing this? Well, look at what it says. Verse 14. They were the seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest or the chief priest, probably of Ephesus. This might have been the leader of the synagogue Paul was preaching in. We don't know that for sure, but he was a prominent priest. And his seven sons went around all over casting out demons. Now, they're Jewish, right, if he's a leading priest. So would they have been using the name of Jesus to cast out demons? No. What names would they have been using to cast out demons? I command you in the name of Abraham to come out of that man. I command you in the name of Moses. Now, if I was doing it, I'd probably say I command you in the name of Elijah to come out. There's power in Elijah's name, I would think. He called fire down from heaven, right? So they use names all the time to cast out demons or to ask for demons to leave people. And so now they got a new name because Paul's performing unusual miracles. And he's using what name? The name of Jesus. So that's what they did. Hey, I command you in the name of Jesus to leave this man. But it probably wasn't a good idea. Because verse 15, one time when they tried it, the demon or the evil spirit replied. Now, wouldn't you like to know what this evil spirit sounded like? I would. I mean, I'm weird. I would like to know. Because the evil spirit's in a man. So the man's talking, but it's really not the man talking. It's the evil spirit. And this is what he says. I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? That's probably not what you want to hear. 
And this is what happened next. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them. Remember, this is one demon-possessed man. There's seven of them. He leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. This demon literally beat the clothes off of them. That's what he did. And they had to walk away from the house naked and battered. That's a bad day when that happens to you. That's a bad day. But again, go back to the Apostle Paul who was in a city for how many years? Two years. And what is he battling against? This right here. This is what he's fighting. And that's why he says, you better stand firm in God's mighty power and you better put on the full armor of God because this is what's happening. Okay? Now you think about somebody that is overcome or powered, empowered by a demon. Do they have unusual power? I mean, you just go read the stories of Jesus. When they go to the Gadarenes, was there a demon there with power? A man there, who was naked all the time, by the way, they would put chains on him and what would he do to the chains? That's pretty strong. Have you broken a chain lately? Probably not. So when someone is controlled or overcome or empowered, however you want to say it, by a demon, influenced by a demon, they have unusual power. And they can do unusual things. And I know because I've seen it. Okay, I've seen it. Many places in the world, by the way. But I've seen it here. And... I mean, I won't go in great detail, but one day at a former church, we were there, large church, so we had a large staff. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was sitting at my desk. I don't know what I was doing, but I was at my desk downstairs. And my pastor called, Pastor Steve, and he said, Hey, will you come up here? I'm going to get some of the staff guys to come pray over this young girl. So this young girl was in college. She was one of our college students that started coming to church. And long story short, she was controlled by a demon. And so there was probably, I don't know, I can't remember, but there's probably about six or seven of us in that room. And we started praying for her. And she started talking. But it wasn't her that was talking. Because I hope she couldn't make these guttural sounds that she was making and sound like a 60-year-old man. But the demon started talking to us. And then she fell on the floor and she started convulsing. And in the office, there was a kind of a love seat there. And the way the love seat was made, it had wooden legs on it. And I watched this young girl, small, probably weighed 110 pounds. I watched her do this. Laying in the floor, she picked up one of the legs of that love seat. And from that leg, she picked the love seat in the air just like that. Just like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's probably not a good idea that I'm in here. <laughs> but you can think this stuff doesn't happen today, or this is not real, or this is ancient times. You're mistaken. You're mistaken. Let me take you on the mission field. And this is what Paul lived with for two years. 
but was God at work in the city? You better believe he was. Keep reading. Verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful ways. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, okay, was so witchcraft and sorcery prominent in Ephesus? You better believe it. It says, a number of them, many of who had been practicing sorcery, bought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. That's what it would be modern day. That's how much it would be. But look at verse 20. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Okay, so this is what you see in one of, if not the most wicked city in the ancient world. What do you see? You see revival. You see an awakening. You see a move of God to the extent that the word of the Lord spread widely. It didn't just spread in the city. It went out. And what did it do? It had a powerful effect. Why? Because when people heard it, they were saved. So can God do a mighty work in a wicked place? You better believe it. Can He still do that in the United States of America? You better believe it. But I'm telling you, some conditions have to be met. And so we don't have time to talk about the conditions today, but we will next time. <laughs> because this is our pattern right here in Acts 19. It's the pattern of revival. It's the pattern of a move of God. It's a pattern of what God's people must do if they want to see God move in a powerful way. And listen to me. He did it then. Can He do it again? You better doggone believe it. Because God doesn't change, does He? Well, He's the one that says He doesn't change, not me. And if God saved a city like Nineveh, can He save a place like America? If God saved a place like Ephesus, can He save a place like America? You better believe He can. And so next time we're going to see how. And guess what? It starts with you. It starts with you. So let's pray. Lord. 